0: Welcome to the Old Galway Diary podcast. Each week, my colleague Tom Kenny and myself, Ronnie O'Gorman, produce a page in the Galway Advertiser with Tom's photograph and a story from Galway's past. We contact each other beforehand to see what has been published that week. And our podcast today is That Conversation. Tom, hi, hi, hello again. Good morning, honey. So, yeah, I am continuing the Seamus O'Byrne saga <laughs> this week. Yes. I found out a little bit more about his play and Doctor. I got a little synopsis of the plot and something of the reception it received and so on. So I'm kind of stuck on Seamus for a while. I, I, I actually, I think he deserves it. He's a very interesting man. He really does. Generous men. You know, sometimes you get people that are generous with their talents, and he certainly was. So what are you doing, Tom, this week?
1: Um, Well, (coughs) it's 80 years since the corporation (coughs) excuse me, since the corporation handed over the keys of Galway jail to the bishop. So that is my photograph this week is of the county manager uh, not manager, I beg your pardon, the chairman of the county council, Eamon Corbett, handing over the keys of the jail to the bishop. Oh. So, um, <clears throat> essentially, mine is a brief history, a very briefly, really, headlines of jails in Galway and then the handing over.
0: Yeah. Tom, I remember that building. I re- I'm old enough to remember the walls of the jail.
1: Yes, they were extremely intimidating. They, they were just... over twelve feet high. Yeah. yeah, the the and the jail, of course, itself. The it was built at the beginning of the nineteenth century. There were two jails, in fact, originally. There was the county jail and the city jail. There had been a number of locations in the city for the jail. Uh, there was one in Abbeygate Street. Blake's Castle at the bottom of Key Street was one. They were all very small and they were all very unsatisfactory.
0: Mm.
1: And so eventually they built, uh, this was a purpose-built building on a very large site on Nunn's Island. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, <clears throat> there they were two separate jails. One was the city, one was the county.
0: Oh.
1: So in December 1810, the first prisoners were uh, transferred from the old to the new town jail and then the following year the county jail opened uh, they were separated again by a big wall but the whole thing was surrounded by this very intimidating wall as you say yeah. over over 12 foot high um and uh yeah it continues there uh, as a prison right up until uh the end of the 1930s Right. uh but at that stage there were a lot of complaints about uh, conditions there overcrowding sometimes sanitary conditions the threat of disease oh. all of that kind of yeah. thing and uh yeah. and so and anyway it was becoming a little bit redundant um nice. joe young at an urban council meeting said sure <clears throat> Sure, there's hardly much business. There were only four <laughs> drunks sent to Galway Jail in 1924. <coughs> good, good. So obviously uh, only four drunks in one year is bad for business. In, in a prison. Yeah. but well, uh,
0: I'll tell you a story, Tom, if I may interrupt you there for a moment. <coughs> Miles Joyce was one of the yeah. poor innocent victims that yes, was going yes, to the Mam yeah. murders. And it was always said that his ghost uh, walked the corridors of that prison now i just remember a story i was a small boy my dad brought me down to see them take down the walls they were taking down the walls uh of, the, of that prison and my yeah. dad said we'll watch out for miles joyce's ghost i always remember that <laughs> right needless well, to funnily, say we didn't see <laughs> my, funnily enough yeah.
1: I, ronnie in the early days of old Galway column, and that's at least 40 years ago. There was a lady called Mrs. Linsky, who lived on Bridge Street. And it it was her 100th birthday. And so with the family's permission, I went there with Jimmy Welch, the late Jimmy Welch, the photographer, uh, about 1030 in the morning. And I interviewed her. Jimmy took the photograph and she was my column that week. And I asked her what her earliest memory was. And she said it was kneeling on the Salmon Bridge with a lot of clad women and we were all praying. And I, what, what is this about? I, how do you know they were clad women? I can still see the triangles of Shawl as they knelt on the bridge, she oh, that's,
0: said. That's very interesting,
1: yeah. And what were you praying for? Oh, there was some poor fella. Um, I think Joyce was his name, they were going to kill him the next day. Mm. Yeah. And she was talking about Ma'am, she was actually talking, she was That's praying fantastic. for Miles Joyce. Mm. I got the shock of my life. She was about three and a half years mm. of age oh at the time.
0: God. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, yeah. So but there was a... It impact, impact on
0: a child, it would impact on a child. Of course, you know yes.
1: That. And indeed mm. the images the triangles yes, of shock. I, mean, I thought that was very interesting.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that yeah, she identified remarkable. them as cladder women. I'm sure that's true. Um, yeah. That's Yeah, a very yeah. Good well, a lot of them would have yeah.
1: been Connemara women as well who had yeah. come in from Mount yeah. Tresna. But Miles, poor Miles, was one of the, the famous prisoners there. He was totally uh, not,
0: innocent. Totally innocent.
1: He was, yeah, yeah. Well, the whole thing was a sham. Anyways. Oh, it
0: was disgraceful. You know. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it was, it was disgraceful. Yeah. Yeah, it's just
1: William crazy. Smith O'Brien was another, after whom O'Brien's Bridge is named. He was a prisoner,
0: oh. and
1: he wrote a book called When We Were Boys, uh, while he was in prison there. And then the other kind of big name was um, William Scalwin Blunt.
0: Yes, Blunt, you're right, yes.
1: He, he yeah, he was an English aristocrat who uh, organized protests against down in. South Galway and he was a great friend of Lady Gregory's yeah in fact I think he was a very great friend of Lady Gregory's but that's another day's work
0: no dispersions
1: (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh, uh, yeah so this was the handover and uh, for for a nominal fee of ten pounds the corporation uh, they were the successors of the grand jury and it was the, the ownership of the former prison was in fact in, in the hands of the grand jury. And as successors to those county council, uh, Bishop Brown made representations to the council suggesting that maybe uh, this would be an ideal site for a cathedral and so it was handed over for a nominal sum of 10 pounds. Yes. Uh, some concern was expressed at the time about the houses that were located at the back of the jail. In other words, on the canal. There were four houses there uh, that belonged to staff from the jail mostly.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: but um, the corporate councilors were insure- informed that the bishop had some very nice plans for the area drawn up by an architect. Now, yeah they didn't suspect that that meant that the houses would be demolished but (laughs) that's what happened in the end right
0: okay okay well it it is a a lovely location there's no question oh yeah great location for the cathedral there's no question yeah that's very interesting now yes um,
1: well (laughs) anyway I'm very pleased you're working on Seamus O'Byrne, because I think he's one oh, of the kind of well. under-the-radar yeah. heroes yeah. of Galway. It well, I had a little
0: postscript to what I wrote last week, because I mentioned that the O'Malley families, there were several O'Malley families mm-hmm. in the man Valley, at Kilmilkin yeah. area, Shanoa's yes. area of the Mam, and wonderful Irish speakers, of course, who set up their own hedge schools, and uh, uh, just by chance, I was speaking to Paddy Cunningham of Dangan Nurseries, and uh, he, sa- he remarked on the fact that I had mentioned that. No, he said, I, I, I'm distantly related to them, he said. He said, would you know, he said, would you believe that today, and we're counting, the number of doctors and teachers of medicine that came from, descended from the, that, um, those hedge schools, two hedge schools back in 1909, are 64 doctors and teachers of medicine to date, and he said, we're still counting. Ex- <laughs> That's an, wonderful! An extraordinary. Um, That's wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. Explosion yeah. of O'Malley's on the on yeah. the medical world. You know, it really yeah. was. Paddy told me that in fact, um, uh, his mother uh, was Finnish. Her name was Elsie, and her her sister Ulla, and the two girls, Elsa and Ula had taken a very uh, active part in what is known as the Winter War. 1939, believe it or not, the Soviet Union invaded Finland. And the whole country resisted fiercely and surprised the Soviet Union. Imagine the size of the Soviet Union compared to Finland and its small army. But nevertheless, it held back the Soviets for some time. But afterwards, of course, the Soviets... You know, infiltrated in all kinds of ways. The two girls came to, to, to Ireland. Um, Elsa, who was uh, Paddy's m- uh, mother, married um, uh, Paddy. Uh, Paddy, what's yeah. his name? Paddy Con- Cunningham. Paddy Cunningham. That's right. Who worked yeah. in yeah. the And Ula married uh, Patrick O'Malley out in the Mam Valley, and her sons all became doctors. So, kind of the yeah. whole thing, you know, it was a lovely kind of addendum yeah. to the article. I was very pleased to hear that. <laughs> yeah. she- Seamus O'Byrne himself, actually, he married an O'Malley. He married Sabina O'Malley. They had 10 children, three of whom became doctors. So, my kids. Yeah, right. It's just wonderful, really. Yeah absolutely. yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, as I say, he, it was his energy and his vision uh, and his persistence that um, established the Tyve in Galway at the time. And when you consider it, 1928, you know, uh, yeah. just immediately after the Civil War, indeed. it was quite a remarkable thing to be able to do yes. and manage. And uh, and the fact that it's still there,
0: oh, it's very wonderful. So. And it's indeed, a gem of a theatre, Tom. It, it really absolutely. is a little gem, yeah. physically. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful theatre, right yeah. in the heart of Galway, actually, in the very middle of town. Yeah,
1: and it's coming up to its centenary Mm. and to have survived 100 years as an Irish language theatre now primarily, I mean in the last 20, 30 years but uh, uh, up until I'm not quite sure when they began to introduce English productions there would have been a very occasional touring Abbey play or something there for a couple of nights uh, but otherwise it was all Irish and so it was a very important and significant part of the betterment and survival, if you like, of the Irish language in Galway City.
0: No question. And it encouraged yeah. translations as well, which was very interesting. Maura Stafford, uh, an outstanding example, the late Maura. She was. Uh,
1: Sean O'Cara, that's right. I know, uh, I mean, they really were wonderful. They had no
0: uh, naivety about what they would translate. I mean, they translated great Italian operas into Irish and that's sang right. them to their heart's content. I mean, <laughs> it really was. Yeah, yeah. They were yeah, fearless, yeah. fearless, fearless, um, I tell you. Fearless game
1: in the early days, Liam O'Brien, Professor Liam O'Brien, yes. who was a major pillar of the Thivark indeed, over many years, he was another very important translator, and uh, it was he who translated uh, Waiting for god oh, uh,
0: A brave man <clears throat> to, to do that.
1: Uh, well, but he didn't do it all. He decided that the two tramps were natives. And that they would speak Irish, but that the other two were interlopers, foreigners, and they wouldn't. So Sean O'Cara finished the translation, and um, he had a terrible time with Lucky's speech, as you can imagine. Uh, Very difficult in English, never mind in Irish. Uh, But anyway, and it was funny, and then it was directed by Alan Simpson, who didn't have a word of Irish. Oh
0: that's great.
1: Uh, yeah. but he he knew the play virtually off by heart and in advanced rehearsals he would stop the cast, Say
0: What? Yes. Go back.
1: Two lines, what did you say there?
0: Yes.
1: And we would translate and he'd say, Oh no, that's not what's in the script. Yes. Now the differences he made were very subtle, mm-hmm. but we had to write them into the script. Uh, but so the the final bit of translation was a man who did not have a word Of Irish, (laughs) uh, but who understood the rhythm and etc. of the play. So, yes, we should be very grateful to Seamus O'Byrne.
0: I'm just thinking of a a, a plot for a play, Tom. The night that um, Samuel Beckett came to Galway and went to see Waiting for Godot at the Thaivyark Theatre in Irish.
1: (laughs) Well, he wrote to me, interestingly.
0: Uh, Ah, you're joking.
1: He wrote to me, yes. He Good asked man. if there were a recording made of the play.
0: There you go. there
1: there, There was. Now, there was one microphone put in the centre of the stage. So what you could hear was clip club, clip club, clip club, clip club, oh, clip, I see, clip I know, Yeah. Clip. You know, there was this lovely distorted sound. Anyway, I sent him the tapes and he sent me a very nice letter by reply. But many years later, this middle-aged Englishman came into the shop and he, or into the gallery, and he said, that portrait of Sam upstairs is the best I have ever seen. Mm. But the artist never met him. And I said, uh, how do you know that? <coughs> and he said, he told me a story about sitting down with Beckett over a couple of drinks in Paris, and he started to tell a story, which in fact was a white lie. And Beckett just stared at him. <laughs> and he kept going with the story. But in the end, Beckett terrified him with this stare. So he kind of had to wave the white flag yeah. and admit. <clears throat> yes. so he obviously knew Beckett quite well, intimately. Yes. And so I introduced myself to this man in order to get his name from him. Yeah. In fact, he, he was Beckett's publisher. Yeah. But he, he said to me, oh, you're the man who sent him the tapes.
0: Ah, oh, Tom, that's such a good story. And I said, oh, that is God, such a good geez,
1: that's a long, long time yeah, ago. I did, yeah. yeah. He loved them, he said. Yeah. He loved them. He played them again and again and oh. again. And I said, I I, Do you know, I've read somewhere that there are only three Irish language words in his entire published work. Oh. And he said, well, he mightn't have been able to write much, but he could understand quite a lot. And he loved the rhythm and the musicality of the play in
0: Irish. Well, that's just wonderful. Well, Tom, that's just wonderful now. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm delighted to hear that. Um, you know, I, I just made the, up uh, the the plot for the play, but I think the play is already written, the following letters <laughs> in your gallery. But i just tell you, that <laughs> Beckett's stare was something to, to be wondered at because, um, yeah. believe it or not, Tygo Sullivan, uh, the late Tygo Sullivan, was the uh, Irish ambassador to Paris and his yeah. last appointment, he was a cousin of mine and I looked him up one time and I, he very generously, we went to Fouquet's restaurant and we dined and wined and we talked about this, that and the other and he told me a story about that every international match that was played in Paris, if it was the French versus Ireland, the, yeah. the embassy was opened to Irish visitors first of all for the match but anybody you know who was passing yeah. to come in and to have a chat and a cup of tea and probably something stronger and they used to always invite uh, Samuel Beckett and they lived in fear of him accepting the invitation because <laughs> on, the, on the few occasions that he did he would simply lean against the wall and stare
1: <laughs> that's wonderful <laughs> That's wonderful. I, I have <laughs> been in I have been in that, <laughs> that embassy after a game, actually. Myself. There you go. Yeah, there you yeah, go. yeah. There that's go. wonderful. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: Okay, well. and
1: of course, you know, Tiger Sullivan acted in the Arc as well.
0: Did he really? Yeah. yeah. He was a jazz a jazz lad. He told he me he
1: was. Yeah. yeah. He learned his play acting in the school. I have photographs of him acting in the school play.
0: That's very interesting. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. He 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 served. In the, the the great embassies of the world, actually, Washington. He served he in Moscow. And, yeah. um, you know, he, he has full of stories, great stories. Then he retired and he he wrote a book. I think he had a boat on the River Nore, And um, he wrote a book about that, whether it was the, yeah. the three rivers now there or not, I'm not sure. And then he died uh, unexpectedly. And he was looking forward to a long retirement, which he felt Indeed, he earned, yeah. and he had earned it.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. He had, he yeah. had, he had. Yeah. He was a lovely man.